0: Hello, and welcome to the Modern Goat Rider podcast. I'd like to take this opportunity to emphasise the opinions expressed by our hosts and guests... Are strictly their own and do not represent the positions of any lodge, Grand Lodge, or other branches of the Independent Order of Oddfellows. Our fascinating conversations will be open to the public for the purposes of inspiring our global membership and promoting the Order. So, sit back, open your ears, and your heart in your hand while I introduce you to our hosts. Modern Goat Rider Podcast. I'm Billy Sanderson, and I'm
1: Tara Zajac.
0: Hey, Tara, look at you. We're in the same room.
1: We are. It's
0: exciting. It's very exciting tonight. So we are recording uh, to do a few things. Uh, mostly, we had this great interview with some people we'll tell you about shortly. Uh, but we had this two-hour interview with these people, and they gave us such good material. We decided to patch together two shows. So it's a twofer. twofer. So we're going to uh, do show one today, and then show two will show up sometime later. Uh, But uh, it's that's fun. It's fun. So what have you been up to?
1: I wasn't expecting that. (laughs) Segue. That was abrupt. Uh, I have to say it's funny being in the same room because I'm used to having a a computer screen to wildly look around, but now Billy's just staring at me intently with his arms crossed, yeah, (laughs) expecting something great. Uh, I worked from home today, and then I had huh. a Board of Union meeting, and now I'm here. So it's a very fulsome Odd Fellows Day.
0: It is. FLT
1: yep. all around us. All around us. All so around us. <laughs> the
0: Board of <laughs> Union is the trustees for the Victoria Hall. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, congratulations for being on the Board of Union.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's great being involved.
0: And we thank you for your contribution.
1: Not a problem. Not I'd a, love to serve. Easy peasy.
0: <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, we're... Um, Anything else? What's news in um, kind of non-Board of Union, but what's news in Bastion these days? What's going on?
1: Um, well, we've had a couple um, birthdays recently of our sisters. Ah. And again, with you know playing in the rules that um, we have living in Victoria, um, for one set of birthdays, we rented a local arcade where you can do private rentals masks on six people at the most etc etc but we went and uh played pinball and shot zombies for an hour and it was so much fun that three weeks later we're back for someone else's birthday because we wanted to do it again and it's 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 funny how adults can quickly be like children not not having like no no don't talk to me i'm shooting zombies get out of here (laughs) because you have that one hour so it, it was quite fun so i think you know um it's it's finding the ways that we can creatively yeah uh, get together. Yeah. And it's constraints that we have that will hopefully become a memory.
0: Yeah. What a great memory it's going to be. Hey, <laughs> I think Bastion has been quite active. Is that all? Has that been sort of through the lodge meetings or is that all sort of uh, side sister interactions and friends and all of that? What's What's organizing those sort of small events?
1: I would say overall some events you know, or gatherings or outside walks or with folks who um, already knew each other. There was a basis of perhaps a, an extra lodge friendship there, a precedent okay. of hanging out, if you will. But oftentimes not. You mm. know, um, uh, a few of us in town here go for cold water swims mm-hmm. in the ocean and or dips, as we call it, you're just standing around in cold water. But um, it was at a lodge meeting in December when one of the sisters mentioned that she'd been doing it and kind of put a blanket invite to anyone on the call to join her for a dip the next morning. And a couple of us did it for the first time and it was great, everyone's dispersed on the beach. But that led to, now there's a ragtag group of four of us okay. who go at least a few times a week, hmm. who weren't normally, um, and from C2 and from B4, that weren't doing that normally. So this that instance is a case of uh, someone, you know, putting a call out there, very yeah. general and being creative and us finding a way to do something uh together but separate um and you see those kind of people going for walks and that kind of thing again with folks they don't normally hang out with but yeah it's yeah it's so it's nice it, it stretches you out of your comfort zone mm. in a very um gratifying way oh cool yeah how about you
0: uh well uh it has been a very active uh preparation for our final meeting in Colombia, which was mm. uh the first wednesday of june was our last meeting before the break. So Noble Grand and myself were trying to get housekeeping taken care of and um yeah, the members are feeling they're feeling like those I want to say handcuffs, but that's not the right thing to say, or chains in in our order uh, are coming off and uh and liberty once again will be restored for just life Mm -hmm. And so you have that sense that there's going to be this explosion and you you talk about, oh, restaurants are going to be so much busier or that, I don't know, like right now, restaurants and bars and everybody closes at 10 o'clock. So what great excitement it's going to be when they're open until midnight. But I think we still don't quite understand what to do. Like those small groups are going to help people and members especially members because they have a social network but they're going to learn kind of how to go back uh to what they what they want and what they recall (laughs) when you're going into a restaurant and you're kind of like oh those people are really close to each other over there or i don't know just become kind of a weird phase of covid Mm -hmm. that it's going to be a while to shed all of those feelings and those thoughts of how we were supposed to behave during covid yes and
1: uh well there's been some great parody videos out i'm sure folks have seen them but like flashing to two people at a party and, yeah. and no one knows how to talk to each other so instead of talking about the weather as this um, you don't know what else to say sort of catch-all topic it's yeah. like uh what vaccine did you get yeah and or, or even people like you know trying to stir up a romance and then like just just flailing yeah. And and be like, I like I like your mask, like <laughs> just so so awkward. So- um, and and yeah, it's it's gonna be an interesting test of people's different comfort levels and recovery speeds, and then people really needing to put up their empathy antenna, yeah, and recognize that their where they are isn't where someone else is, and yeah. to again try to refrain from you know judgment or you know boundaries. My boundaries might be a lot bigger than your boundaries. So, but if you come close to me, I'm going to, you know, maybe try to explain it to you and not just get mad at you or vice versa. Right. There, there's going to be a lot more nuance out mm-hmm. there than there was before because we have this X factor for the next little bit. But uh, again, if the worst we can talk about this time frame to our kids and grandkids is like the, the pandemic when I can only eat picnics outside. Yeah. You know, we're still, we're still in pretty good shape. Yeah.
0: Or they're watching old, uh, In a few years, they're watching old reruns or old episodes of something on Netflix, and they go, why is everybody standing so far apart? Well.
1: (laughs) Or we should make all our mask photos sepia tone, just to make it really feel like the old times. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like print them, sepia tone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The old days.
0: The old days. The old days. Well, we're not going to talk about the old days uh, all day. Um, We are going to let you know about this interview that we have done... With two members of the Mountain View Lodge number 244 in sunny, always sunny, San Jose, Santa Clara, California.
1: I love that part of the states. Have you been down there? Yeah, I have. Oh, many what?
0: Many times.
1: <laughs> for work or for fun?
0: Uh, well, for fun. Have you been there?
1: I've been to Santa Cruz, which was delightful. So ah. nearby uh, um, San Francisco, Santa Cruz... Not the San Jose area, Ah. but I can envision a certain continuity of delightfulness that sits on that coast.
0: Yeah. Uh, I was on a baseball trip with friends and we went uh, from San Francisco and then all the way down the coast and went to baseball games in Los Angeles and then San Diego and then back to uh, Oakland. And so, yeah, we stopped in San Jose one night and, you know, Silicon Valley. Well, it's nice. Carmel and Monterey and all that side is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, yeah, I've been there lots because, uh, uh, yeah, San Francisco is one of our favorite places to go.
1: It has, to me, it has, it does have a Victoria, Vancouver-ish vibe. I remember going to San Fran and excitedly going to Chinatown um, and realizing it was a larger version of our (laughs) Chinatown. (laughs) Like, oh, okay, I could buy the same... Uh, questionably derived yeah waving cat statues so that way maybe was a bit of a letdown mm. but other parts of the city are great architecture is great oh, yeah. uh, just wandering through and narrow streets and a lot of their um, eating and drinking laws are a little bit more liberal than ours so you see cool and well before before it was unusual to see pop-up patios on streets here in Victoria right. and in San Fran they made use of all that space So, yeah. and I remember going to a very cool um, jazz bar Like up some dark stairs, around a couple corners, didn't really know where we were going, and just came across it. And it was a tiny room and a guy on a piano and dark lights and you know something from a movie. And felt like we found this neat secret place. And uh, so yeah, I like. But you don't remember the name of it. You can't remember the street. If I told you, I'd have to kill you. There you go. No, I have no idea.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, well we're back, everybody. (laughs) Yeah.
1: From our trip. From our trip. Can you tell we want to travel?
0: Oh, my God. So uh, why don't I keep introducing what's kind of going on? What <laughs> we're going to do is uh, in this interview or this portion of the interview, our two lovely guests uh, give us a intro to how they became Odd Fellows. And in that is really important because we asked these two um, members to join us because of how their lodge, Mountain View, is open and available as a hall for community groups or for small social groups with particular interests. And that's how both of these members became Oddfellow members.
1: And I think if you are listening maybe to some previous podcast or you're acquainted with our lodges, you'll note that the style is is different. Like it's it, and not in a bad way, it's, it's quite creative. So mm-hmm. I was really fascinated to hear how they explain things. Uh, it was very strategic, very methodical and I think helped really enhance the community and the knowledge mm-hmm. of oddfills in the community um, a bit more than maybe um, seeking an individual. Right. But I don't want to give away the, yeah. the whole thing. That,
0: is, that that is interesting. That was part of something I brought up a little bit later in it because it was so different than I think a lot of lodges are looking at. There, Lodges that are struggling for members might be looking sending out their uh th- their troops to say just bring one member just go find one member mm-hmm. and every two years find a member well this was very different this this is thinking not as the individual but thinking as what groups would be comfortable and what groups have the attitude or and the the values that odd fellows have that would really like joining
1: and how can we be of service to them yeah so that's what i like it was a very um two-way street type yeah. scenario that's great
0: yeah so i refer to it as outreach but it's not really outreach um it it's it's kind of part stalking <laughs> 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 or what is the word lurking where yeah we're, there's
1: just i would say yeah. a certain amount of it because it's not as it's not cold calling no it's a uh, well-researched it's educated cold
0: calling. it's educated cold calling um but it's how they find organizations and groups that could come and use their hall for free uh so uh, very cool the uh second part of it is uh two snippets that are uh you know, I think we talked for about 15 minutes on it and it's more about the education that they, the established members will give to new members and to um, members running moving through the degrees, mm-hmm. which is what I am very interested in. Uh, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. I wondered if... There were lodges and and they gave great examples of how they do it. And that's why we want to we want to have them on. I wondered if there were lodges that possibly said, okay, we we do support for this charitable organization. And so we're going to have them come in and talk about what they do with donations and what their services is. But I almost wondered if there was something like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if. Uh, somebody came in and we did how to raise a teenager, Uh, (laughs) you know, and then the place is packed with uh, 40 and 50 year olds just listening to how to raise a teenager. I I wonder about those types of education Mm -hmm. as well.
1: Well, I think you put it well, when we reflected back on the content and the conversation that it was um, in this context, it's more like, clever onboarding right within the context of education as, a, as opposed to sort of what yeah what we had in mind with the i mean education is a, a wide word but i like where it went even though mm-hmm. it wasn't what we expected and now we can have a different education conversation some other time that's right it's we got perfect. another
0: show perfect. show to a b c maybe something like that he's
1: putting up a sticky note as we speak
0: yes <laughs> all right everybody i hope you enjoy all right we're sitting down here virtually of course, uh, with some wonderful people from California. Hello, California. Hello. Hello. So from the Mountain View Lodge, we have Jessica Dickinson Goodman and Sinead Toulis. And we're gonna have each of you uh, give us an intro and uh, then we'll get into our chat. So take it away.
2: My name's Jessica and I joined the lodge because of Sinead. Uh, Sinead and I have known each other since our first day of high school. Um, where we were both the two awkward kiddos who had gone to independent schools and didn't know how to function in a group of 700 high school students. So we found each other and we have pretty much been hanging out ever since that, then.
3: Was that why we became friends? I, I like to it think was so. because I ran into you and you were saying, come talk to the people who don't know each other. It's true. Which is a uh, great way to get to know people.
2: Survival so. extroversion is very important. Um, but yeah, so I grew up in the Bay Area and I've worked in DC and Seattle and Boston and Pittsburgh and the Middle East and all over the place. Um, done work for elected officials at most of the different levels of government. Um, and I do a lot of work around technology and fiction and a bunch of different kinds of stuff. Most of my career is focused on the intersection between technology, human rights, and policy. So different kinds of jobs like that. And at the Odd Fellows, I was Noble Grand for a year or two years ago, and I'm currently post-grand and left-hand supporter of our current Noble Grand, who is Sinead?
3: Hi, I'm Sinead Tulis. Um, I am currently the Noble Grand of Mountain View Lodge number 244. Uh, so I grew up in Mountain View um, and I saw the lodge building all the time when I was a kid and never knew what was in it. Um, but yeah, I was educated locally. I went to UC Berkeley. Um, currently, I do work freelance as a graphic artist. I also do sculpture. But uh, in terms of the lodge, I'm like I said, I'm currently Noble Grand in previous years. I have filled a lot of the different roles. Um, and one of the big things I do in our group, in our lodge is that i run one of the community groups that we host which is the writing group um which was my introduction to the lodge and i can get into that now or i can do that story well
0: why don't why don't i ask one more question like so if you did come to the lodge and to Oddfellow life um through the what we're going to talk about so through this outreach uh program that we're going to talk about maybe maybe we'll talk with Jessica before because she sounds like she didn't do it that way.
2: Oh, I did.
3: I did cuz oh. Sinead did it first. Yeah. Ah, so okay.
0: so why don't we just get into it? Tell us yeah. about your joining the lodge.
3: So, I run a writing group in downtown Mountain View. It was I found it on meetup.com. Um right after I moved back from college. And it was not the best run thing in the universe at the time, but uh, something that Jesse and I have in common is that when we join organizations, we tend to take over leadership roles because we're good at that. <laughs> and so we used to meet in a coffee shop. that's actually right across the street from Odd And we outgrew it. And so then we met at this local used bookstore, which was like two blocks down the street. And then they closed down. And so I have now built this, organi- like this community from like maybe three people a week, if we're lucky to like eight to 15 people a week consistently. And so suddenly I'm set with, oh gosh, we have nowhere to meet. There are no community spaces that we can meet because we can't go back to Red Rock Cafe because we have outgrown it and it is much too noisy. The we community can't... center
2: requires a 500 deposit and it's 152 dollars an hour to use their basement room, which has eight foot ceilings and sticky tables. Yeah.
3: Um, One of the other places that I knew of that had a back room, they charged 250. We tried the library it caught uh, they would throw you out of the rooms after an hour um, because there was a high demand. So I was I wanted to keep us on Castro Street. And so one day I looked at a map of our area and I just looked down every single building on that street and I saw the odd fellows. And I said to myself, I have never seen that building open. So maybe they would be able to host us on Wednesdays because I've never seen it open. So maybe if I ask, and I, I was very lucky that, uh, we actually had a, I say we, at the time it was they, but I was, I was very lucky that they had a Facebook group and that they were responsive on their Facebook group. So I sent them a message saying, Hey, I know this is out there, but would you be interested or would you allow us to have our writing group in your location on Wednesday? Is there a possibility this could happen? And I was very surprised and quite pleased when they uh, responded back to me and said, why don't you present this to the Lodge? And I think the people who really championed my cause were Linnea and Michael, um, Linnea Bradenberg, Is it bradenburg or Brodenberg? Breidenberg. Breidenberg. uh If you guys, uh, she's very well known in the um, LOTO, but also the degree circuit. Like she, she has helped with the initiatory degree a lot. And so they they invited me and I remember at the time I was extremely nervous, because I, like I said, I would never seen there was this building with the windows were always closed. Uh, there were just weird symbols in the window. And so I came it was a, it was a Thursday night eight o'clock. I had to wait downstairs I remember at the time half of my hair was dyed teal. And I was terrified that they would see that and think I was unprofessional and not worth trusting with their building, so I hid it all in my hat. And I really shouldn't have bothered because Deborah Laverne had purple hair at the time, but. (laughs) But I went to the meeting I presented my cause and. They debated it a bit but. I mean, the biggest thing was whether or not it would be covered on the Odd Fellows Insurance, since it wasn't an Odd Fellows event. And we as an organization did not have our own insurance because we were a meetup group. I mean, we were like eight to 15 people. And our biggest expense was that we had to pay $60 for the meetup.com fee. And even that was like sometimes an issue. So it was. They really showed up for us and under our insurance policy if it's an odd fellows event it was covered and so if odd fellows were at the event technically they were hosting it and so for 6 months odd fellows a lot of the time it was Linnea sometimes it was Michael occasionally it was a couple of other members would um they would ho- they would show up and they would sit in the lodge for our entire meeting you know they'd go upstairs they'd have their laptops out they'd be doing whatever but they really showed up for us and after those 6 months i decided i was going to join because a i'd gotten to know them through you know them hosting us they seemed interesting um you know we'd gotten a tour of the upstairs it was this cool clubhouse downtown but i also wanted to be able to give back and so that was i that was when i joined and then from that we we've had lots of members of my writing group have subsequently joined the Odd Fellows. Um, Is it like eight now?
2: Yeah. When you joined, there were 25 members and we currently have 40 members Mm -hmm. and all but one of those people joined because of either writing group or other groups that we brought in.
3: Yeah, so once I joined, getting other people in was was a lot easier. And it also meant that my writing group was like, we weren't, they, they couldn't get rid of us anymore. I was a member of the lodge (laughs) and, uh, and therefore I could, I could be like, no, we, we, we need to be here. We're important. And of course, as more members joined, I think we, as a lodge realized how important it was to be involved in the community and to be a community resource. I will say that as the first person in my community that like I knew personally, uh, joining was, was kind of scary. Um, because you know, they, they, tell you to show up at this building and it was the Cupertino Lodge building which was far away and it was dark it was night and you go in and uh something that might be unique to our lodge is that we like to do the very theatrical degrees um we don't
2: do the dvds we do full dress up
3: yes we do full dress up full costumes we've got all of the accoutrement. As a person who was not prepared for anything, it was a little scary. There are certain things that I definitely tell all of my, like, I don't obviously tell any of the unwritten work or, or what's going to happen, but there are certain things like you will be blindfolded, which I now tell people because that can be extremely jarring and scary if you don't know what's coming.
2: Well, and as we started recruiting people from vulnerable communities who have experiences of trauma, there's things that we can't in good conscience put people through without talking them about. Yeah. And we don't know what people's triggers are. And it's really necessary ethically for both of us as feminists to understand that we don't get to decide if someone's going to get triggered. We should provide people information that they need to make their own informed decisions and, and provide a protective space and, and you know, let people say for it out if they have to. I mean, there's there's changes that we have both fought for with significant amounts of resistance to make the space comfortable for people with experiences of trauma and forms of vulnerability that might make the a little bit more of a casual approach to the consent less effective.
3: Yeah. So just in terms of the initiatory, yeah, I, I usually tell people, hey, you'll be blindfolded for a section and there will be chains for a section. And that's it. That's, and are you okay with that? And do you need, do you need me to like I can be at the event with you and if you need me to like tap on your shoulder three times so that you know that someone's there who like cares about you and is with you you know I got you covered I mean my mother joined actually um she was initiated was she initiated with you
2: I tried to be there for every single one of our new members initiatory so that they knew no, that but I, I was you there initiated yeah. the same. Yeah, your mom was there with me
3: yeah um and and she almost noped out She was very, very. (gasps) Although I will say, I really enjoy the theatricality that our lodge takes to the degrees. I much, I think it's it's much more fun. Um,
2: And having that positive consent frees everyone to have fun. You're not wondering if somebody opted into this. You're like, oh, they opted in. I can go have a good time, as opposed to like not being sure.
3: And that was something that I took from when I was initiated was that. I, I felt very much like, well, I know that my parents and my friends know where I am right now, but I'm also being blindfolded in the dark with
2: a bunch by a of bunch of people you don't know, who a lot of them are old white men, and you're like, God. this is the safest feeling moment in my life.
4: <laughs> well, I think I think consent, notwithstanding, uh, our last podcast was about uh, friendship and how sometimes these shared experiences help. Uh, certainly, if you're a bunch of initiates in the same class. Uh, roll the, the ball of friendship a little bit faster and going through this hilarious, hilarious experience together uh, I think helps bond initiates because our, our lodge also is uh, theatrical. And then, you know, there's the, the jives ahead of time, like, don't worry if you hear a goat, like, they, you know, like your friends kind of video. and <laughs> and who are who've already moved ahead. And so, you know, like in, in our case, our, our lodge is, um, all women so maybe there's a there's fewer variables to potentially be concerned about but um you know your friends are there and you're going through it and different things happen and you roll with it at the end you've all gone through this hilarious bonding experience and discomfort together coming out the other side and it's all the better so so yes I can't imagine um the DVDs being as effective.
2: I'd love it if it was hilarious. Like both Naya and Michael's thing is like hardcore serious drama. And so it ends up not being funny at all for ours. And I love, I'm really curious how to make it funny now. Cause that sounds awesome.
4: Well, I mean, I on happening. paper it's serious, but I, no, I, I, mean, I, I, I personally, would, everything, so. yeah,
2: no, I, I personally would love the idea if it was super funny and I'm starting to rethink how we could do initiatory. So it would be a little bit more fun. And so, so this is, I, uh, I call this our recruiting strategy, which I've mentioned a little bit before is about, um, I call it, usually call it recruiting through social awkwardness because think about that moment where the lodge member is sitting, watching writing group happen. It was fine for writing group. It can get a little weird if you're like a gender queer inclusive board gaming group and I'm sitting there watching you play your game for 10 hours every other Sunday for six months. And eventually, so what we do is I go out on meetup.com I find local groups that are uh, serving a community need that fits our mission as an organization, and are too small to have 501c3 status, which is nonprofit status in the United States, too small to be able to pay the $500 deposit and the $157 an hour to rent a room at the community center, but also too large to meet in a living room. And so then I reach out to them through Meetup and I say, hey. We have this space, it's ADA accessible, which means it's accessible for people with a wide range of physical disabilities. Um, it is right in downtown. There's parking behind the building that's public, but it's usually there's some kind of options. It's right near the train. There's bathrooms that are accessible. Would you like to use the space? And I have a real interest in making sure that there's more people of color in leadership in the Oddfellows. Fellows. So I tend to focus on doing outreach to organizations that are led by people of color and that, that the organizations themselves don't give me hives because I am a volunteer and I don't have time to deal with like investor. We have a lot of like VCs and investors in Silicon Valley and I deal with them as part of some of my work and I don't like to deal with them in my free time. They, they freak me out. There's a lot of yelling and I don't, I'd rather deal with flaky artists any day of the week than a bunch of like super hyped up entrepreneurs because that's my tolerance level. A different outreach director would do something else. And so I reach out to them through Meetup. We offer to let them use the space. Usually there's a tour and that's how our current secretary ended up joining because their genderqueer inclusive board gaming group, I sat for a year uh, every other Sunday as they use the space. Two of their members are also members of a comic book writing group that I invited and that used the space for a pop-up art gallery. The head of the pop-up art, or the head of that comic group and those two members also joined. Um, We ended up sharing-
3: Sushu's husband.
2: Yeah, and and also we got a spouse in the deal. Um, But the outreach wasn't like to them as a couple, it was to Sushu as a leader. And that's the other thing is that when you recruit community organizers and you recruit existing intact communities, you don't have to do as much social support than if you're recruiting an individual member because they have a ride to the lodge. They have a friend to talk about it with. They have somebody they can process what they've been going through with. They have a vote for their ideas. They come in knowing that they have this kind of support, which really helps people feel more comfortable. And then we've also shared our space with groups that we haven't recruited folks from yet. So like there's a Muslim immigrant ladies dinner group um, that use the space about once a quarter because um, You guys, some members may know this and some members may not, but if you're a Muslim lady who likes to cover, you can't take your scarf off unless you're around other women or your family. And they used to have this awesome socially supportive group for women who couldn't work because of their visa status. And they used to meet in this big living room and it was so much fun but then they got too big. They had this success problem. They couldn't fit in anyone's living room anymore. And then they would meet at restaurants, but they had to keep their scarves on. They couldn't have their kids. It wasn't as much fun for their moms who didn't speak English. And so through one of our social events, I met the woman that runs it. I speak Arabic. I've lived in the Middle East. I was really excited to get to hang out in like that kind of social space because I'm comfortable in it. And so Every, like one Friday night every quarter for a couple of years. We would shut every window in the place. I would set up a special screen so that if people walked in, I was the one to see them first. We'd lock the door to keep any men out and they just have a super fun party. We dance, we'd eat, it was a potluck. It was super fun and nobody joined from that, but we were providing at the height of the Trump administration with the Muslim ban happening, our lodge was providing a safe space for Muslim immigrant women to connect with each other and support each other. And that to me was really important. Even if it didn't grow our lodge, I think it grew who we thought of ourselves as being connected to, um, which is important to me. Um, so that's our main recruiting strategy, is that we identify existing, healthy, well-run groups. We offer them a gift of our free space. We put in the sweat equity of welcoming them into the space. Sinead or I were usually the ones to pitch it to the lodge, do the necessary research. Uh, Sinead and Sinead or I were usually the ones to sit with them until one of their members chose to join. Um, and then they would get to be full members of the lodge and see if it worked for them. And a lot of times they've not only stayed, but they've gained leadership in the organization because we were recruiting people who knew how to run groups. We were running a well-run group that wasn't exhausting to engage in. So it was, it felt socially positive for them to, to continue to engage with us. Um, and that's how we ended up recruiting a lot of people. And if your leader is the member of a new group, it's more comfortable. Like. Members of the Oddizens, which is was named before they ever knew about the Oddfellows, so the Oddizens is a gender queer inclusive board gaming group, um, like D and group, and um, their members felt more comfortable joining because Sally, who runs the group, had already joined. They knew they had an ally on the inside, and so that's why I think, at least for us. If you have a lodge, the advice that we usually give when people ask about how to grow your lodge and how to include more people of color and queer people and young people and women is to identify, is to fish where the fish are. Identify where those people are in your community. Groups like like spaces like Meetup are really helpful for that. And then ask them what they need. Don't say, hey, come join us and help us with our old building. Like, no one wants to join groups that act like that. But saying, like, Most groups, at least in the United States, need a free space to meet or a free space to do a fundraiser or a free space to show a movie night. It doesn't have to be a huge commitment. It can just be a one-off thing to get to
4: know each other. No, I was going to make a comment and observation. Like, I, I love that because it's not those of us in the Lodge with the privilege of having the Lodge asking someone to... Conform to how we do things, where we are truly hosting. Mm-hmm. You know, our living room is your living room. That's great. Do your thing. I'm a fly on the wall, and and that's awesome because you know when we do some of our volunteer outreach in and Four, uh, certainly a lot of it is these like lovely. I hope you can come someday. Fundraisers where we throw these elaborate. Our Halloween parties are insane. Oh, we insane. Circus performers, we, yeah. like just oh, that's so much fun. um oh, it is! It is circus LA in the lodge. The whole thing is, is awesome, um, and that's wonderful. But this sort of more of that more grassroots approach, like often, like we might go and not saying it's less valuable, but we might go to uh, soup kitchen and put in some manual labor there, and that's great, and we help that community. But but I really love the take on getting them to come to us because we're again, the fly in the wall, but we're available to interact. Mm-hmm. And again, we get to like, you know, it's like your own home. You have pride in your home. We have pride in our lodge, our lodge, uh, we're, you know, it's a beautiful space and and why not invite people in and make it work for them yep. in whatever way we can. And I, prior to joining all of those, <laughs> I was on a, a few volunteer groups and on a board. And I, and I tell you, even Victoria, like finding a space mm-hmm. to host more than five people, that wasn't a million dollars, yeah. Uh, or they have an hour to get kicked out or that could be maybe like I had a group that we basically dissolved because we couldn't meet anywhere. Like yeah. we just couldn't make it happen. Yep. Uh, so I I just want to commend you for that approach. And now when you say it out loud, I'm like, Oh, that's obvious. Why are we doing this the whole time? But uh, noted. And also just um, the, I like your, your meetup lurking is also great. We have a, a DNI committee and we're trying to be, we're trying to move forward, but you know, we're sort of limiting our own experiences in our media echo chamber. So, I think again, looking at word and inviting people in will invite more voices and contribute more to that conversation. So, um, just loving all that what you're doing. So, it's fun to comment. that
2: that Oh, I'm glad. Well, and the yeah, other thing is uh, to really. Oh, I have one last thing, and then I'll I'll seed. Um, right. The one of the things that is really important is to know what your lodge has to offer. So, like ours is a little a little messy. There's been a lot of like, friends of the lodge who have done repairs with a wide variety of skill sets involved. <laughs> and so when I show people the space, like, I am incredibly upfront with them. I'm like, I will give them the tour. And I'm like, look at that beautiful crenellated molding. Also, do you see the huge crack in the wall? Or like, look, this door is so cool. Do you see how it's at this angle? It's because this building's 110 years old. And like, It helps us weed out people who are going to exhaust our volunteer capacity, trying to reach their standards. Like if they are someone who's used to renting a country club and having a 15 person paid staff to do all of the cleaning for them. That's not a good fit for us because I'm not going to do it like I will sweep the floor and I will wipe down the tables and I will bring linens from home that's about it but if they don't like my funny fish linens then they that's this tough nuggets right there because that's the linens I got and so that's why I really like hosting artists and hosting community groups and hosting like we've defined political as meaning partisan so we don't host political party meetings but we do host groups that engage in political work like the Mountain View Historical Society, or the South Bay Yimby, which is like, yes, in my backyard, we did civic education work a couple of weeks after the inauguration into the Trump administration, which Sinead co-taught.
3: We, um, that was something that was, it was both for members of our lodge, members of the communities that met in our lodge, but also for the community at large. We hosted a bipartisan, it was civic education, where we basically, because a lot of people don't understand how to engage in local politics or politics at all or you know and and suddenly there was this need and we had a space and i was like we could do this Mm -hmm. and we did it and it was great we had people from both sides of the aisle as like elected officials from both sides of the aisle came and they talked about like how do you engage with your local politics how do you make change in your neighborhood and i think it was a very, it was a great event. Um, and I think it provided something of real value and something that happens every time we open the doors and we have a public event is that, I mean, we, we've started taking tallies um, every time we have an event, how many people will say, I've never seen this place open. How many people will say, what even is this place? Who are you guys? Yeah. Uh, You know, you usually get, I mean, we're hoping to one day have an event where no one asks. That would be amazing because that would mean that we are open and in, open enough that the community know who we are again. I, I think that's something that's gotten lost for um, a lot of lodges is that, you know, it used to be like, yeah, this is the main drag of your downtown and, you know, that's that store and that's that store and that's the Oddfellows, and we know what they do. Whereas, like I said, I grew up in Mountain View. I spent a lot of time downtown. I had no idea who the Odd Fellows were until I looked at a map and needed a place to be. (laughs) Um, But one of the other benefits of recruiting members and growing your lodge and hosting these organizations and having those organizations become part of your community. And that's something that as Noble Grand, I, uh, well, when I was Vice Grand, I created the community committee. Which is basically about checking in with all the communities that we meet with. And, and as Noble Grand, I've continued to have that, although I'm no longer in charge of it. And so any community group that meets in our space has the ability through the community committee to have a voice and be like, hey, this is a thing or that is a thing. But one of the greatest things is you can vet your members before, you know, instead of having a stranger just join a lot of times it does take people a bit of time to like warm up and it takes you time to kind of get to know them and be like, are you going to be a good member? Are you going to be, I mean, two mem- one member of my writing group, I how many years did it take for us to recruit Vanessa? It was
2: three years, but we were on it because Vanessa is amazing and is now, she's an HVAC engineer and now she's the head of our building committee and overseeing like a $30,000 over like fix of a bunch of our electrical stuff. But like, We had to figure out how to get it to be something she and her husband wanted to do because they wanted to join something together. So we spent a bunch of time building up our volunteer program because David wanted to volunteer someplace. Yeah. So we made sure there was something they both wanted to do so that we could get Vanessa and we got David in the bargain, who is an excellent financial secretary now.
3: Yeah. And so both of those people are like, we spent a lot of time trying to recruit Vanessa. And it was worth and, it. And it was it was absolutely worth it. Um, I believe Vanessa is my conductor. Yes, yeah, Vanessa's my conductor. So they both had. Uh, he has a desk position. She has an officer position. I know that Jesse and I are both interested in in pushing Vanessa. <laughs> If Vanessa ever listens to this, she's gonna be like, what? But oh uh, Vanessa knows gonna, our plan. Yeah. We are not subtle about our plan. We want Vanessa
2: to be noble grand in three years, which is the normal yeah. process for conductors. You can be conductor, warden, vice grand, noble grand.
3: So yeah. we got and it covered. So, it's gonna be good. You know, having having these, making sure that you put in the effort to be a place that people that you would really, really benefit from want to be. Um, I just wanted to talk about education uh, and that um, something that that I think, you know, we, we have this education of members about what it means to be an odd fellow, but I think there's also, um, when I went to the membership seminar in Modesto, um, I was vice grand, I was just about to go into my first, like, well, I, I just started my year as vice grand. And something, I I ended up in a seminar for people who were going to become vice and noble grands. And something that we talked about in that seminar was the issue of essentially the, the schism that a lot of lodges are experiencing, which is the schism between, some people call them the old members. I think that that is kind of ageist. It's more traditional members or people who have more traditional values of what and ideas about what being an odd fellow is and people who have a more sort of modern idea. And these two groups in a lot of lodges right now are fighting. And sometimes it's, uh, there's there's a lodge in our district that I'm not going to name, but uh, apparently their meetings are extremely long, like three hours, because people spend a lot of time screaming at each other.
2: And incredibly impolite. Like the quorum does not exist and like, it's just, it's awful and it's usually white men screaming at women tends to be the situation that shows up in a lot of these lodges and it's really hostile. And, and and you ask for help and people are just like, oh, you just have to deal with it. That's what happened when I had members scream at me and they're just like, oh, well, that's just his way. And I'm like, well, it's not gonna be like that
3: in the future if and I And that's can help the thing it. about, you know, remembering coming back to always remembering that our values that we all agree on are friendship, love, and truth, and that we need to educate our new members about what it means to be an Odd Fellow, but we also need to remember to educate our older, more traditional members, not necessarily older in age, just in traditional values. We need to educate them about how to be a welcoming space for these new members. How do we intergenerational there are not a lot of intergenerational spaces in the world and our lodge I mean I think when I joined the average age was 60 to 70. I think it was 72 I did the math and like
2: and now the aver- wasn't just the average age it was the median age
3: yeah and now the average is more like 40. 50? I think it's we have 50. a lot of people who are so, 40 so. but it's gone down quite a bit but just knowing as a as a younger member of a lodge or a more modern member of a lodge. And and one of the ways that I think it, we see it is that because a lot of lodges have been shrinking, uh, in the past, you know, particularly from like the sixties through the nine through maybe the 2010s, like a lot of lodges are shrinking. And I think that tends to make them look inward and they're trying to maintain what they have and they're not they're not looking outward which is what will save them looking outward to the community and being there for the community that they are in they're not separate from that you know we're in the mountain view lodge and when we look for community groups to donate to yes we look at national level but we also look at what immediate community groups in our community need help we have a haunted house Uh, that we've run for several years. Raised
2: $5,000 for the community services agency. In our first three years, we charge adults $5 and children $1 and or sliding scale. So you don't have to pay if you don't want to. And Sinead has played the monster and the ghost and many excellent parts in our excellent, super fun haunted house.
3: Yeah, we, we did a lot of decorating and we have people come through. And, but part of that is, you know, just being being an actual member of our community. And I think that that is something when when I joined, there were very few events that the lodge had that anybody else came to. Or was Rebecca- allowed to come to. Oh Yeah, the, we didn't have open events. We didn't open the doors. We didn't open the windows. Nobody came in, except I think maybe the craft fair twice a year. That was it. Four times they
2: do it quarterly. The Rebecca's rung in a craft fair, but that wasn't even an Odd Fellows event. It was our Rebecca's auxiliary. But yeah.
3: so the Odd Fellows weren't, and that's a thing where you have because lodges were shrinking I think a lot of you know people who I would consider more traditional members started looking inward how do we maintain what we have we we don't have the energy or the time to look out whereas looking out and reaching out and giving help to people without an expectation of like you yeah. will now become members
2: starting yeah. with a gift is so important Yeah and they starting by sharing first is so important
3: And that was the thing that the Odd Fellows did for me and for my community and and my writer's community, which was, I mean, it's so hard to meet people as an adult once you leave school. You know, I was back. Not all of my friends who'd gone to college were back or were even coming back. I felt extremely isolated. And so I found this weird little odd, well, we are now called the Odd Writer's League. Uh, The Owls. The Owls. We changed our name <laughs> once we became more associated with the Odd Fellows, um, but, you know, and, and so I was dedicated to making sure that this community that I I was slowly building was able, like, was able to stay and be stable and have a place. And and so I understand the the worry of like trying to maintain that, but, you know, the way that we maintained is we looked outward. I looked outward, I found the odd fellows and the odd fellows looked outward and accepted me and my group. And like Jesse said, we've had all, like 40% increase in members. 30, but yes. 30, you're the numbers part of this. This I am. So I, I, will,
0: I will jump in. I have a question <laughs> for you quickly, Jessica. So what is your retention rate in the so last we've few lost, years?
2: We've lost one member in the last three
0: years. Of the people who have joined and you're, and you've grown how much in the last That's three last years?
2: 15 people.
0: Okay. So this is something I really want to point out. So I have, I've listened for quite a bit and I've had two points if I could yeah, throw at course. you. So one is that your method of kind of hope repeatedly hosting mm-hmm. is, is great because what I have found is that when we recruit the individual, And it's, it's often a sponsor who will say, you would, you love it. You would be great. Mm -hmm. Um, They're brought in without sort of repeatedly consuming our, 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 our stuff, you know, kind of our message, I guess, or our purpose or our reason and asking a number of times, why, why do you keep opening your door to us? And why do you sit there and work on your laptop while we talk about other things? So the, that, is really valuable for retention because the lodges in Victoria, the two, uh, three lodges, um, uh, have, uh, we have different retention ratio, uh, uh, successes. And I think there's a lot of that is that we don't repeat the message enough just from a general open the door kind of thing. The other thing that I wanted to kind of hit on is that, you know, we are, we are to elevate, the character of mankind, right? And humankind. So by having that argument that a pronoun is important is an education. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be uh, thrown out as, as like you're saying, as an investment. It's it's investing not only in the new member to make sure they don't run away screaming. It's mm-hmm. to invest in the the existing member who doesn't want to be educated, but yep. needs to learn that education is a progression you're learning degree work all right so this week guys degree work is out the door we're gonna talk about pronouns like let's do this um and put that investment in so i think you guys are doing a great job we're a lodge that does education uh i know that at encampment there's tends to be more of a thinking kind of talk about education talk about odd fellowship more than pay the bills and distribute benefits or run an event so when i asked um on the um on the discord channel and jessica answered the question was does a lodge have education for its members so you answered and do you do education for your members or is it also this outreach that is mostly for the community and then you drive um, membership out of it or is it both?
2: So I do both. So last year I was both the outreach chair and the membership chair. This year, uh, Zoe is the membership chair And as membership chair, my job was to make sure that people made it through to the degrees. And our degree process is a good scaffolding to use for education about odd fellowship. Um, One of the requirements is, and this is a process that um, Linnea designed, one of the requirements is that you write something about Odd Fellowship. And we have a couple of publications in our area, one is specific to our district, one is for our whole state. And so a lot of the thinking and talking and generative work around what does it mean to be an Odd Fellow? comes up through those writing exercises as people think about and integrate different aspects of it. And then we have a monthly newsletter that Don Lang puts together, um, who is a past Grandmaster of California and is a member of our Lodge. And on a regular basis, I usually push our newer members to write for it because I find particularly when we have to be all socially distanced, it's hard to have like a fun seminar style conversation. Um, But if you ask someone to write about how they're using their odd fellowship in their life as part of an essay that they're putting out for the broader community to read, To write that essay, they have to do the thinking. To write that essay, they have to engage in some self-education or some conversations. The other paradigm I think is really valuable is thinking about official program versus unofficial program. So the official program of odd fellowship involves degrees and tests and writing requirements and event pieces. But that would mean nothing if it didn't further the unofficial program, which is when we actually talk about what it means to be an odd fellow and where they see members who are third degree members living the values that we talk about in the valediction that we talk about in all of our meetings. And so when I say somebody comes to help run a charity art gallery with me, it means they're spending six hours on a Saturday hanging out with me sitting on the couch and in between us bringing people into the lodge and talking about the history of the lodge, we're talking about what does it mean to be an odd fellow as a queer young woman? What does it mean to be an odd fellow? Why do I choose to engage in this really traditional organization? Why as a liberal person do I act this way or progressive person? Um, So that's where a lot of that peer transmission of educational information comes across and we also have more formal aspects so we have something called the membership seminar um that happens every january that has a lot of like education on like how to deal with robert's rules of order or like how to run the new initiatory that's a dinner time event um so we encourage the newer members to go to that and we pay for their travel and their staying because or and their their stay their hotel time um The other thing that we do to further that education is there's a good mailing list called Democratic, no, Democratic Members for Change, no, Dedicated Members for Change, Dedicated Members for Change, right? Um, And so I don't tend to like to overwhelm people, so I don't like immediately subscribe them to that mailing list, but in about their first month or two, any new member, I ask them if they want to sign up, and that gets them a steady drumbeat because... There's a there's a model within public education in the United States called the differentiated teaching model, which posits that people need to hear something, see it, read it, write it, do it and think it to be able to process it. But some people are weighted more towards one or the other. Sinead needs to say it to be able to think it through. I need to read it to be able to think it through. So our prep for this podcast was different. Sinead's prep was calling me and we talked for 45 minutes. My prep was sitting (laughs) down and reading y'all's website for half an hour. And that allowed us to both be prepped in our own ways. So, I, but I don't know, and a lot of people aren't self aware of their own learning style. So, when I think about med membership education, I make sure that all six of those learning styles are being served. So, for the people that need to say it, I try and make sure people are involved in the degree process. If they need to write it, then I try and make sure that they write for the journal. If they need to read it, I try to make sure they're on the mailing list. If they need to do it, if their body needs to be involved, I get them involved in helping me maintain the lodge because you know it's a 110-year-old building, there's always work to be done.
4: Quick question. Yeah. So you're talking about the six learning styles, and I totally appreciate what you're saying because I'm uh, much more experiential than I am just listening. Um, yeah. But, you know, in your role or in roles of, say, the other third degrees in the Lodge, how do you, maybe pre-COVID and maybe there's a post-COVID conversation as well, but how do you try to identify what folks need when they're new to the Lodge? We have um, a buddy system in my Lodge where if mm-hmm. you're new, it's not the person that sponsors you, but it's someone else from the, from the Lodge is your, your bastion buddy or bastion for. And they help guide you through some of the ins and outs of the functions of the lodge. Um, but I can't say we've approached it, say, from a learning style sense. So how do, you help, how do you help yourselves help those folks? Like what tools do you use to get to that end to figure out the best learning style?
3: Part of it is um, because, like I said, in our lodge, we have a process to get to the degrees. And our membership committee is like what their job is, is to get to keep track and get people through those those hoops, essentially. And so having all of those hoops generally hit aspects of that. You know, there's uh, I think it's for the third degree, you need you have to write an article mm-hmm. for the thing. And so and then if people seem to be like gravitating towards certain areas, you just kind of I think also we've our, our growth, we've definitely grown. But our growth has been slow enough that we've been able to, you know, make sure that we're giving attention to all of our new members. And this is me just advocating for, like, doing the more traditional degrees, you know, with the theatricality is, and and having your lodge members involved in that. Um, Something our lodge has that a lot of lodges don't have is that to get certain degrees, you have to fit, you have to fulfill requirements. To advance to the first degree, you have to go to at least four meetings. You have to, I, I'm not entirely sure what, what they are because I did them a long time ago,
2: but there's certain- We things- have a whole spreadsheet if you guys are curious, but yeah. it's, it's sort of, it's a mix of like internal work, external work. You have to memorize some stuff. You have to attend a certain number of meetings and it it grows in responsibility. So for like first degree, you have to attend an external event. Then you have to help run an event. Then you have to come up with your own event and that kind of stuff.
3: Yeah, similar. And so having that has, and, and one of the things is you have to, I think you have to help out at an initiatory or a degree. You thing. have to do
2: district work. And currently the only district work to do is to do the joint degree team.
3: Yeah. And so most of our members have, they've done their own initiatory and then they've at least gone to one or two other initiatory degrees and participated either as members of the cast or just as people in the crowd. And I feel like having people just involved in that process allows you to realize the areas where you can make small changes and the areas where, you know, it becomes like a bonding experience that, you know, as you said, like, I'm here with all my friends. It's going to be weird, but let's do this. Uh... Well, and that's how we ended up with a first degree
2: team that not only put on a a socially distanced production of the first degree so that we could get some people through our ranks. But also we had like almost, I think every single person performing is queer in some way or another. And since it's the queerest degree, it was a really good, it's really good fit for all of us working on it. Yeah, it was, I'm looking forward to being able to do that one in person. Again, we got some pretty, pretty cool work there.
0: Okay, we're back. (laughs) I know. Some of
1: these little parts I'm still getting used to. Yes, we're back. Um, So that was a lot of conversation for folks. I hope everyone enjoyed it and gleaned something from it. Both Jessica and Sinead Sinead offered to... uh, be resources if anyone is interested in learning a bit more about their methodology. Uh, they have a lot of knowledge and experience about this, and they're very passionate about what they do. So, uh, in the description, we'll have their contact information or email us at info info at moderngoatwriter dot com. Getting it.
0: So one of the things that yeah. I we needed to have hit the editing floor yes. was a important message to lodges that try to do connecting with uh in that sort of lurking finding groups meetups or whatever is that uh it can be highly unsuccessful in a percentage way mm-hmm. she was giving us uh, you know maybe one out of 20 get a hold of you so if you're sending out in bundles of five and waiting to see if somebody gets back to you you might wait a while if before you send the next five. So it's fine to do a blast out is mm-hmm. where I was getting the message from Jessica. It's it's totally fine to just sit down, find 20 and shoot it off and maybe you find one.
1: Yeah, I like that she, man, you know, helps set the stage for managing expectations for that. So if yeah. you do decide to endeavor on this on, on your own or based on this podcast, then then uh, don't be faint of heart and, and don't take it personally. Yeah, and, and sort of, I think like all of us as individuals to odd fellows, Sometimes they're not ready then, but it doesn't mean it might not sit in the back of someone's mind for a little bit until the right time.
0: Right. Can I make a negative Nelly uh, comment about this me? method? No, <laughs> me. I make the comment, not about you, but about this method of uh, recruitment from groups. Please. So the negative Nelly and me says when you indiv- when you recruit individuals from. The members that are already there, uh, you should air quotes should um, continue to recruit new members that are similar to existing members. Right? They might be co-workers. They might be people that are already friends. They might be you know moving to town and they just met or whatever. So we have all these stories that people join. But when you're recruiting an individual, uh, you can actually create a very common looking but you also have a chance of getting a diverse group Mm -hmm. of members um and if you do a good job with your recruiting of groups and you are looking for diverse groups then you uh you can keep the diversity going Mm -hmm. but my negative nelly point on it is that I wonder if a lodge could fall into a trap of, or trap, I call it a trap, it's bad words, but if they could fall into a laneway. Let's put it that way. A laneway of uh, of a certain interest.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, maybe it's about a certain two-wheel motorized type vehicle, or maybe it's about fly fishing, or maybe it's about... Calligraphy, because that's the group that just kind of came in as this clump. So I I would keep that in mind when you're looking at groups as you're looking for diversity because diversity brings strength to the odd fellows. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Now you have your arms crossed.
1: Oh, I feel like that a lot. Um, I, I, I think though, I think maybe the counterpoint is that one of the things Jessica mentioned um, was, or maybe Sinead, but like looking at the the being strategic in the size of the group that you're attracting, right? So it's that bigger than a living room, but not so big. Mm-hmm. So we could probably mitigate that to a certain extent. And if there maybe are 15 people in that group, and maybe 10 join, is that or whatever? There might be there might be a magic number that yeah, doesn't and, end up throwing off the balance.
0: And that's something I'm making the assumption too, yeah. is that you've 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 uh, you've corralled them all. We're
1: so but, successful; but, everyone's beating but, down the door to but,
0: us. But but they did make the point that uh you might get one or two out of that group yeah not all not the whole living room Mm -hmm. of of them all Mm -hmm. uh so that negative nelly fear is probably put to rest anyways thank you very much great show so again thanks to jessica and Sinead. uh we will post their uh, website for the lodge in the show notes so if you're looking to contact them, please go through there. But of course, if you are having trouble with that, email us at info at moderngoatrider.com. So that'll do it for us.
1: Yeah, it was, it was great. And um, please send your thoughts, comments, concerns, everything to the email. Yeah, show ideas too. We, we, yeah, show ideas. It's always neat to hear how uh, the shows land with our listeners. And also please share it. We'd like to increase the amount of goats being ridden in a modern
0: fashion. uh, Leave a comment or a review where you downloaded this podcast. Yep. So that will do it for us. And we'll be back again soon making more Odd Fellows discoveries and seeing the Odd Fellowship all around us. Cheers in FLT.